0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Transforming 45. Uh, Last week, I was solo. It was an episode all on my own. And I just want to say thank you to those who listened. It was not an easy podcast to record. Uh, It was a very vulnerable place to be. And I have so appreciated all of your kind supporting words and the connections that you have made to listening to that episode. And I'm always grateful when you give me your time and your hearts to listen. This week, however, I am not alone. Uh, I am so glad to welcome Jessie Brandon to Transforming 45. She is a life cycle celebrant and a metaphysical minister, both two things I cannot wait to dive into because it's what, what fabulous titles mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. an indication of the power of the work that you do. Yeah. 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 So welcome. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Jesse, tell me your story. What brought you to where you are today? Well,
1: usually I'd say a bus, but I'm <laughs> gonna try and keep the humor no, please. on the downwall.
0: <laughs> no, be funny, so good.
1: <laughs> Great. Well, you know, I, I thought a lot about where I would start, and to me it's important to start right at the beginning. So I was born the seventh child into eventually a family of eight with only one boy, seven sisters mm. for him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but the key thing was that my final sister my baby sister was born on my eighth birthday and it was like being pushed off the throne Mm. and thrown to the wolves because all of a sudden she was the you know Mm. the last child and all that kind of stuff and I didn't realize until I would say recently but I've been gathering information from my siblings. And uh, one sister told me that um, I was just so different to the rest of them. I was always dancing and singing and walking up to strangers or running Mm -hmm. up to strangers and asking who they were and, you know, stuff like that. And so they were kind of charged by my parents with keeping me quiet and keeping me, Mm -hmm. you know, shut down Mm -hmm. And uh, I, from there, got the impression that I was wrong, that everything I did was wrong, and that I needed to be quiet.
0: Mm -hmm. So can I jump in here for one second? Because I think that, um, well, one, we just stumbled across the theme of our podcast today. Mm -hmm. And for so many of people who are listening, I know that this is going to resonate. And that is all of the experiences and the narrative that we have over our lives to be quiet Mm -hmm. and to be small and to not be noticed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was
1: the directive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it didn't work for me. I mean, I spent most of kindergarten behind the piano because I, every time the, God Save the Queen came on, I started to dance mm-hmm. and the teacher wasn't having it. Uh-huh. And that's that kind of, um, I call it joy for life, mm-hmm. uh, was squashed by almost every teacher. And uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the principal's offices and uh, I just didn't understand what was so wrong with me when uh-huh. I was just enjoying myself. Uh-huh. Um, so unfortunately I was molested at six, 11 and 14. It was a verbal molestation, Uh, but it was uh somebody of importance, um, where we lived. And so I went to my mom and I said, you know, Mr. So-and-so is saying these words to me and I don't even know what they are. And she said, be quiet. Don't cause trouble. Just ignore them. I was terrified of the man. Uh And so I told one of the other girls in, it was a mobile home park where we lived. And I told one of the other girls, she quickly told the man's daughter. Mm. And then they became a united front against me. So all through high school,
2: Mm.
1: I didn't have any friends because we lived out in the country and in this, in this park and they all banded together and they did horrible things to me. The interesting thing was, A neighbor watched them throwing snowballs at me or spitballs or whatever they were going to do. And she would phone my mom crying and tell her what was going on. I never knew that my mother knew that until I was 26. Mm -hmm. And I found out that she'd always known. And we didn't have a great relationship. I mean, by the time she had me, she was tired. We Mm -hmm. always had borders. My father was a traveling salesman, so he wasn't there to help. You know, Mm -hmm. with everything. And men didn't in that day. My father once stood in the kitchen beside the kettle and said, is what's a man got to do to get a cup of tea around here? And I said, use the digits on the end of your wrists. And he got so mad. (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) Yeah, that was very typical. My mom did everything for him. Mm -hmm. That was the way things were back when I was a child. Anyway, so she was very busy and very tired. And I think pretty resentful about her lot in life. And Mm -hmm. so it was, I was the last child for eight years and it was pretty easy for her to take that resentment out on me. And what I didn't know until much later is that she constantly told my sisters what a problem I was. And so they didn't treat me very nice either. Mm -hmm. And so um, by the time I was, well, I'll just, back up for a second. I was going to say in my twenties, but at 17, I went to one of my sister's houses in deep distress because the fellow I liked didn't like me. Mm-hmm. And so I was 17 and they gave me lots of drinks. And then she went to bed and I passed out on the couch and her husband, my brother in law raped me. So when I got up in the morning, I felt like God had just stamped garbage on mm-hmm. my forehead,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that was it game over for me i'd finally gotten the lesson that i was a monster that i needed to be quiet and not bother anybody and i can honestly say that for the next i'm going to have to say almost 20 years i didn't i didn't think about the future i didn't think about anything um i wasn't one of those kids that ever wanted to be married or have children or anything i went to my father at 16 and said, dad, I want to go to university. And he said, you don't educate girls. They just get married and have babies. And I thought, well, not wow. me. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately that was enough to stop me right there. I didn't, you know, I really admire people who have that kind of thing happen to them and say, well, screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. Nope. My dad said no. So that was it. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, well,
0: at that point you'd had, experience after experience mm-hmm. of reinforcement of what the patriarchy will do mm-hmm. if you rise up against it. Yep, absolutely.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I knew just to be quiet, to never say another word. And, um, so I, you know, I moved to Toronto and, and got a job in office there and that's where I lived <coughs> for all of that time. Then I met, um, well, okay confession time Mm -hmm. i've been been married twice already yeah and i'm getting married in september so you know Mm -hmm. third time's a charm right so i've been married and divorced it lasted a year i met my second husband and he wanted to build a home up in this area so we came back and built a place in thornton and um uh, we were having the wedding in our backyard sorry i kind of went off into, okay. a, into a doze there That's all right. um, so anyway um, there were people who weren't going to come to my wedding and I didn't know why and I kept digging and eventually it came out that there had been some sort of incident in the family that was being kept from me so that it didn't ruin my wedding but it ultimately did end up right. causing quite, quite a problem mm-hmm. so we after that we went away from uh, I, my sisters and I, two of my sisters and I, and they asked me why I never visited this other sister. And I said, because mm-hmm. this happened. And what I didn't realize is that I had tried to tell one of those sisters because he came at me a second time. And it was just the fact that I had been up all night reading a book that when he came into the bedroom, mm-hmm. I was awake and I was like, you get the fuck out of here now. Uh, mm-hmm. And he kind of tried to, you know, jolly me into it. And I was like, are you nuts? Get Mm -hmm. away from me. Yeah. So in trying to tell my sister about what had happened, I told her that story and we never got any further. Right. So when I came out with the original story, they thought I was lying. They thought that I was telling two different stories and I'd gotten confused about the details. Mm. (laughs) Believe me, you don't get confused about those details. I know lots of people will say that, For a while, there was a lot of accusations that maybe weren't true. And maybe there still is. I don't know. But what I know is it happened to me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was 33 when those two sisters decided that, in fact, um, I was trying to destroy my other sister's marriage. Right. They didn't know why. They didn't care. And they sat everybody down, all my nieces and nephews, all my family. And told them the lies that I was trying to spread. And uh, my father held a family meeting in which I was told to get back in the sandbox and play nice or get out. And by this time, I was like, bye. Mm-hmm. I'm out. Yeah. So that was really frightening. I will tell you that for a dozen years, I hid from them. I went shopping at night. I went um mm. uh, I heard my mom and my sisters in Sears one day and I dove into a bunch of clothes so that they wouldn't see me because I was terrified of what would happen. Now, granted, I've always been a little bit dramatic, so it is entirely possible that I scared the crap out of myself and it wasn't really going to happen. But that's what I felt. That's Uh what I lived with. So I bumped into my very first boyfriend and we decided it was kismet. We'd both been married and divorced twice. We were the same age. It was heaven.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I had been told that I couldn't have children. So I told him that. He said, are you sure? And I said, well, nothing's ever sure. So we argued over who was going to do what to take care of this little problem. And he said, well, why can't you get a tubal ligation?" And I said, because I don't think God's done with me. Right. Three weeks later, I was pregnant.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. You knew.
1: yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So I went ahead and had her, even though he left me because he'd already raised two children and he didn't want to do it again, which is fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was then a single mom all through the pregnancy and Mm -hmm. all through right up until she was 13 years old and it was tough. Mm -hmm. It was really tough because I didn't have my sisters to Mm -hmm. ask anything of. Um, yeah, it was just hard. But when I was pregnant. This is, this is what all of this is about. I was telling a friend, I was in a spiritual book club Mm -hmm. that my neighbor took me to, and I fell in love with the people and I was pregnant and they accepted me. And so one of them had heard my story probably at least a thousand times. And I was at her place crying Mm -hmm. once again about how horrible my life was. And she said to me, I know your
2: story, dear.
1: Now tell me who you are. Mm
2: -hmm. And at
1: first I went, and then I thought, wait a second, that's a really important question. Mm -hmm. So that began the journey of finding out who I was. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it has taken a long, long time. And that used to really bother me because I thought, well, if I'd only known this 20 years ago, I, I, Mm I could have been so much further ahead but I have learned two things. Every single thing that happened to me was for me uh-huh. and it was actually a blessing.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And of course the other thing's gone that, <laughs> that I was pretty cool. I yes. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's what started the journey. And, um, it's just been amazing ever since I found out that, um, I had gone to the rape crisis center in Barry for some help and Mm -hmm. I ended up in a group and there were some legal issues there at the rape crisis center. And so they closed down our group. And so the two counselors took us to their home, to one of their homes and we met there regularly. And she began to show us things like, um, astral body reading Mm -hmm. and the way energy works. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the copper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's very cool. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so I love to volunteer for all this stuff. So one time um, she had me leave the room and it came back in and someone had put their hands in the sand Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I went over and put my hands in and I knew instantly who it was. And uh, anyway, so I, I told them that. And then the real kicker was when she got us to take some of us to take a therapeutic touch course. Mm -hmm. And the woman I was working on, every time I went over her left knee, I saw a spiral staircase. But I said to her, did you fall down today? She said, no, picture wouldn't leave. Mm -hmm. I said, have you fallen down recently? No. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out why I'm seeing this. And she leans forward and says, 20 years ago I fell down a set of stairs and got a spiral fracture in my knee right Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do with that information at the time but what I now know Mm -hmm. is that the injuries both um physical and emotional and psychically Mm -hmm. all of those injuries energetically they are lodged in your body Mm -hmm. and if you don't know a how to release it and be that it's okay to release it and mm-hmm. to, to do all of those things. Um, you know, I ended up with, I have a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. I tend to reject it most of the time mm-hmm. because I just feel that, um, there are things that slow me down. And mm-hmm. I have also learned, I was um, diagnosed chronically depressed since mm-hmm. I was 14 and I've discovered how to manage that too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read uh, Thomas Moore's "Dark Nights of the Soul,"
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what he explained in the book gave me enough information that now, instead of uh, being depressed and not being able to work or or talk, shower any of those things, if I wake up and I'm down, I just say to myself, "Okay, mm-hmm. I'm sad." I'm just going to be sad today. I don't need uh-huh. to know why I don't need to do anything about it. Yeah, I'm just checking out and not adulting. And uh, I have <laughs> a friend of mine once said, uh, How you doing? And I said, Well, better now. And she said, What do you mean? And I said, Oh, I just had four days of hell, but I've worked it out. And she said, Four days. And I said, Honey, the last time was 20 years. <laughs>
0: Yeah. That's a big shift. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of the work of, um, Gabor Mate. Do you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I love him. It's really powerful work that is revolutionary and yet so deeply instinctual. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like that is the tension of our time is that we are breaking out of the traditional models that mm-hmm. have told us to mask and to cover everything. mm mm-hmm. And we are realizing that we have always instinctually known how to heal, Mm -hmm. but going back to what you were saying about being, but we were told that that was wrong Mm -hmm. and that we can't trust that. That's right. Right. Yeah. That the only thing we can trust is the systems and the structures and the models that have been very humanly created over time. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, there are value in those things, in their way, in their time. And yep. it's time to take the learning from that and say, thank you. Mm-hmm. But now we have better ways. Yeah. And we do not need to stay in this model in yeah. this way. And- Amen, hallelujah. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, because I mean, The gift in being disowned by my father, who then died three months later, Mm -hmm. and so my my sisters and family carried on. That
2: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: um, what I realized was that I wouldn't be me today Mm -hmm. if I had remained in that family because it's it was enmeshed and dysfunctional, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say my family was any worse or any different, but there you are. It was, Mm -hmm. and it was really hard for somebody like me. And just to fast forward a bit, I just sustained a fourth concussion last May. Mm. And through the treatment, they diagnosed me with ADHD syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so we discussed it and talked about more. And I began to see the things throughout my life that quite possibly were ADHD driven. Mm -hmm. And she said, my doctor said to me, well, I'll tell you what, I'll put you on the medication. And if you're not adhd it'll blow you out of the water. You'll be so jittery. You can't handle it. Yeah. So I saw her the next week after starting it and she said, how are you? And I said, cool as a cucumber. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but you know, it's not about the label. It's about understanding why I never felt normal.
2: Mm-hmm. with
1: everybody else I always felt like I was outside the bubble watching the world mm-hmm. and I didn't get the book mm-hmm. you know everybody else seemed to have one but I didn't get it mm-hmm. and I didn't know how to reach out to people and that really fed the mm-hmm. the not talking and the not you know mm-hmm. um, not telling anybody anything
0: I think what you're bringing forward is so important on so many levels and I'm feeling about like six different conversations coming up to the surface but one of them is so often at this point in time, I hear, you know, what is wrong with kids? What is wrong with these kids? And my response always is, it's never the kids. Mm-mm. There is nothing wrong with them. No. What is what has happened is there is a generation of humans coming into this earth who are more deeply connected with themselves. Mm-hmm. And are refusing to be in the bubble and yep. to conform. Yep. Right. Like I I tell this, I told the story at the beginning of my podcast when I was in kindergarten and when I was little, I related to what you said because I was I was dance. A, I was a dancer. I <laughs> was an only child. I was my godmother used to describe me as like um the imp with the sparkly eyes. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is the truth of who I am. Yeah. And when I went to school, I was exuberant. Same way. I was mm-hmm. exuberant and I talked all the time. And my teacher moved me from sp- space to space. And this, com- this story I've told already. So I'm sorry, but, um, <laughs> I was in kindergarten, it was a half day. I watched Canada AM in the morning, and there was a story about turtles that just was so fascinating to me. And I came to school and I was telling all my friends about these, about the Galapagos turtles, like how incredible and what a great learning. And my teacher came by the shoulders and pulled me and put me at a desk at the front of the room by myself. Mm. And she was like, Well, now you won't talk to anyone.
2: Mm.
0: And that' put me in the box and shut me down mm-hmm. until I was 17, 18. At which point I'd started working at a summer camp and there were incredible women. And I had also experienced some incredible teachers at that point mm-hmm. who were really brilliant women and saw saw me mm-hmm. and made space for me to start doing some of that healing and letting go of that mm. box. What but I wanted to st- bring that forward because that is what we do right and these kids kids today are refusing to stay in the table by themselves and mm-hmm. let it shut them down and so what it looks like to the adults who are trying desperately to hold on to a system that breaks people
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: is non-conformity it looks like pushback it looks like disrespect it looks like All of these things and that that kind of energy exchange is just setting off alarms Mm -hmm. in kids all day long, which Mm -hmm. is why we are seeing what we are seeing in schools. Yeah, their nervous system is activated, their brains are in full red zone, they are flooded because they know that what is happening to them is not okay.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when we are able to look at the system and not take it on as our personal identity Mm -hmm. and step back from it and really evaluate, like, what, what are we doing here? What is our goal? What is our intention? Mm -hmm. If it's to continue the industrial model of we need everyone to be the same, Mm -hmm. it's not going to, we're going to continue to do this dance of destruction. Absolutely. And if we are able to step back and say, that is a model that is no longer serving anyone or relevant in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So let's listen. That is what I'm desperate for, like water in the desert, for people to listen. Mm-hmm. Listen to these kids. If someone had listened to you, mm-hmm. if someone had listened to me, mm-hmm we all could be in different places. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I'd be a famous writer right now. Mm -hmm. Instead of just in my own mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you know, what's really interesting to me is that um, we're 20 years apart. Mm -hmm. So things were completely different for you compared to me. When I tell um, my partner he's twenty four years younger than me. He is blown away by some of the things that I tell him about the way school was and mm-hmm. the way I behaved and mm-hmm. you know we were the Brandon girls, and we got led to church every Sunday, sometimes two or three times mm-hmm. on a sunday and uh And that's kind of when I left home, I was so angry at this God that they talked about I couldn't mm-hmm. say God without spitting the curse off-. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely amazing because um, when I was pregnant and how I got to that reading group was um, the neighbor sent a friend and he took me. And when I got in the car, he said, how are you? And I burst into tears Mm. and he said, what's going on? And I said, well, I kind of feel like you know, I, I used to know a God, but he was really angry. Mm. And so he turned his back on me and then he kind of started to turn around and I went, fuck you, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to know you. And then as I aged and grew older, I started to turn around again and I was very scared. And so one of the first books that we read in that, um, Mm -hmm. group was, uh, conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. Mm -hmm totally changed my life. <clears throat> and it was, it was really eye opening for me. And so that's another part of my journey that I began to explore.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't want to be religious. And I certainly didn't want to be, you know, Baptist or Anglican or Catholic mm-hmm. or any of those things. But I did want a relationship. And yeah. I didn't know what that was going to look like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And of course, I had nobody to talk to about this, because I was a single mom in my 40s. I didn't have my daughter till I was 39. Mm -hmm. So everybody else was like their kids were older and I didn't have my sisters and I really didn't have a lot of friends. So everything I did, I had to find on my own. One interesting thing was I did uh, suffer from postpartum depression Mm. and the doctor sent me to the hospital. And he, the psychiatrist came in and he said, uh, you know, tell me. So I told him a few things and he said, okay, I'm going to give you a prescription Mm -hmm. for Zoloft. And I said, I can't take Zoloft, I'm breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you have a choice to make then. You either take the drugs or you heal yourself. And he walked out. And as he was walking out, I said, fuck you, I'll show you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Finally got up on my hind legs. Yeah. And I went home and looked through the phone book. That's that yellow thing that we used to have. (laughs) And I found everything I could possibly find that had anything to do with that. So there was moms and tots and there uh-huh. was the single mothers out of BCHD, which is the Berry Community yep. Health Center and just different things like that. And I was just bound and determined that I was going to keep talking until somebody heard me. Now, unfortunately, uh, it didn't happen for a long time, uh-huh. but, um, I kind of want to fast forward to my daughter left home at 14 and a half. We had a very oil and water relationship and a lot of it
2: Uh of
1: course was my fault because I had been browbeaten so much in my mind by my family's expectations of me that I just couldn't meet Uh um, that I didn't want anybody to know that I was struggling with this child. Uh And so I took my mom to Harley was getting an award. And so Um, I took my mom and we're driving back home and she said, so how are things? And I started to tell her some of the things Uh that were going on. And then I stopped and I said, oh, mom, please don't tell the others. I can't bear it for them to think, to see how imperfect I am. And she was quiet for a minute. And she said, I've done a lot of harm in your life. And if it takes the rest of mine, I'll go make it up to you.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And like that, it healed everything Mm -hmm. because she admitted it, she owned it, Mm -hmm. and she apologized in the only way that she could. And so I said to her, you know, mom, we haven't had a very good mother-daughter relationship. How about we try friendship?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And she said, okay. Mm -hmm. So I used to go over to the LTC that she lived in and take her out for ice cream and down to the beach and different things. And Mm -hmm just had a wonderful time. And I would, it sounds awful, but I'm going to tell you, mm. I would do things like scrub her false teeth for her because mm-hmm. she couldn't see them. And I would pick the whiskers off her chin. That's lovely. And because I was right there like mm-hmm. this, we really met each other. Mm-hmm. So to make a long story short, one of my sisters and my mom had a heart attack within three days of each other. 2 weeks later they both had a heart attack on the same day. Wow. My sister remained in the hospital and my mom came home. Mm-hmm. And we had her for 8 days. And everybody would come and we would talk to her, but my little sister and I stayed with mom for that whole week. I think we maybe between the two of us got 4 or 6 hours of sleep that whole week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we finally made the decision that she had to go back to work and and we just couldn't do it anymore. Uh-huh. I just fell apart and everybody came running because they thought mom was gone, but she uh-huh. wasn't. Uh-huh. And it was just the realization that I, I just couldn't do any more. I couldn't stay awake. I couldn't uh-huh. care for her. Nothing. Yep. So, we made the arrangements for her to be moved out of that room into what they called a guest room, and they would have a volunteer come in and sit with her. Mm -hmm. And so, we called my brother and asked him to come and help us move the furniture out. And at the same time, the first male grandson showed up to visit. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And we're sitting there all talking. And then I said, Oh my gosh, Mom's alone. And the four of us ran into the room, and Mom was sitting there with her eyes closed, or laying there Mm -hmm. with her eyes closed. And she opened her eyes, Mm -hmm. looked to the window, smiled and passed. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that's the way I want to go. You know, not with all my passengers screaming when we hit the wall. I Mm -hmm. want to go like that. Yeah. And the really cool thing was everybody from the dishwasher to the CEO came to say goodbye to her and they called her kind and gracious and funny and loving. And I went, wow.
2: Mm -hmm. My mom
1: just proved to me that the philosophy or that's kind of a weird word for it, but what I believe about this whole earth thing Mm -hmm. was proved to me right there because I believe we come as souls. We've already chosen what lessons we want to have and we get here and we forget everything. And then everything that happens for us is to bring us back to who we are, make Mm -hmm. us know who we are. And if there's a lot of crap loaded on those things, uh-huh. it takes a long time to come out from under it. And I'm still struggling with limiting beliefs about things. Uh-huh. Um, I just cracked a code the other day. Uh-huh. I Well, my sister-in-law is very ill. And so we were talking about what we were going to do. And then all of a sudden, one of the grandchildren did it. And it's all over Facebook. And, uh-huh. and I called my niece and I said, oh, I don't think we should have done that. And blah, blah, blah. And so it was kind of like me expressing my opinion. Right. And so I couldn't sleep that night. Mm -hmm. And the next day I was really off center. And then I started to get sad and I felt like there was this doom hanging over Mm -hmm. me. And then I realized that I was headed for depression and I went, wait a second here, what's going on? And what I realized was I had spoken out And I expected everybody to be mad at me and I was going to be in trouble and I was going to be punished. Mm -hmm. I would be banned again. And when I sorted that all out in my head, I went, Oh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. That's not happening here. And so the next time I saw my brother, the next day, I said to him, geez, you know, sorry. And he said, no, no, I understand. It's, you know, we got to do it and Mm -hmm. whatever. And everything worked out. And I said, you know, sorry if I freaked out a little bit. And he said, just, we're all trying to do the best we can do. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, Mm -hmm. if only Mm -hmm. I had grown up with that kind of feeling. Right. But instead I always felt like I was wrong. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to say was my sister Carol stayed in the hospital we brought her out a couple of times, but they didn't know what was wrong with her. And so she was really spacey. There's a lot of things she did that were very frightening. Mm -hmm. And we moved into her, my partner and I moved into her place so that we could care for her. And just things were happening that were very frightening. So my mom died on June 21st, first day of summer. My aunt, birdie that my daughter harley is named for that was birdie's last name Mm -hmm. and then my mom's best friend aunt mary at 96 she also died sorry those two died Mm -hmm. and then eventually carol died my sister that was four of my matriarchs in four months Mm -hmm. and it just knocked me on my ass Mm -hmm. because i knew that i was not living the life i was meant to live Mm -hmm. and that 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 many losses just showed me you've only got so much time, Mm -hmm. and you don't know how much time it is. Mm -hmm. So you know, do something different. I was in business school during the day. I was in taking classes at night because I was at the hospital so much. I missed stuff, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. It was a government program that was paying me, and I just knew. I just knew when I gave my sister's eulogy that I heard a voice. Mm -hmm. I heard a voice. Everything, you know, everything you've done, everything you've experienced has brought you to this moment. Mm -hmm. Now go out there and do this. Mm -hmm. So i had been working part-time for a, a, um, senior's home Mm -hmm. and all the people that didn't have families when they passed, I would do their funeral. So I felt I had a handle on that. And I thought, I'm going to learn how to do weddings. Mm. I could have gotten ordained in a weekend. I could have, you know, maybe done six weeks somewhere else. But I researched and I found Life Cycle Celebrants. It started in Australia over 60 years ago when they didn't have enough clergymen. They started... Ordaining lay people and sending them to the outback to take care of everybody. So it came to New Jersey, of all places, Mm -hmm. and that's where the Institute is. And I found them online and I talked to uh, the uh, CEO or whatever she was, the director at that time. Mm -hmm. And I just fell in love with her and the program. And I had to. I sold frozen meat, I sold plants, I borrowed money, I did whatever I had to do to get the money to take that course. And it was about 10 months of studying. Mm -hmm. And they taught us absolutely everything about rituals and Mm -hmm. why we do certain Mm -hmm. things and how to touch people and how to build the ceremony of their dreams. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely loved it. So I already had two weddings booked before I was even ordained. I had to take Mm an ordained minister with me. But that's how and then you see, because it was the U.S., they had an agreement with Bancroft Center for uh, Awakening Spiritual Growth. OK. And so when I was ordained, I went to their place in Aspen up by Bancroft. And uh-huh. That's where I was ordained. And so they are metaphysical. And so that's what made me a life cycle celebrant and a metaphysical minister. Now, for the longest time, if somebody said, we don't want religion, I'd say, that's fine. I'm not a religion. It's just mm-hmm. spiritual. But then the government made metaphysical an actual religion. So we can't say that anymore, oh. which is fine. Hmm. I have found my way around it. It's mm-hmm. okay. But um, I've had the most amazing time in the last 10 years because... I had to expand to be able to do this work. And of mm-hmm. course, all of the fun loving boho hippie gypsy inside of me just fell in love with it. And mm-hmm. I've done a Star Trek wedding, uh, Star Wars, Harry Potter wedding Amazing. in full costume <laughs> and <laughs> That's so great. on. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all, all kinds of things. So those are the, the facts of the story. Mm-hmm. But what kept happening was, I would I would go through the whole process, I thought, again, of what had happened to me and right. what, how it was uh, taking me to a mm-hmm. place I didn't want to go. And then I began to realize that life really is a spiral. And yes. so every time that that issue came up, I was seeing it from a different perspective and from some, for something different mm-hmm. that needed to be mended. And uh, a friend of mine, and I'm going to name her, mm-hmm. Dana Ferent,
2: mm-hmm.
1: taught, uh, she was doing a group one time and she taught us that when we react to things, it's usually an inner child.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: she believes that there are several pieces of that inner child for every time uh-huh. that I was molested uh-huh. or or anything that happened to me, there was a child inside of me
2: uh-huh. that
1: needed help. Yes. And they were screaming. And so she had us create a place where we could let that child know, go there uh-huh. and, and just do whatever needed to be done. And usually mine is a beautiful log cabin in the woods uh-huh. the fire is always going and it's a big brass bed with all kinds of furs. Yes I know.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Cozy. But I
1: just yeah, mm-hmm. I would just go and tell that particular child that mm-hmm. we, that we were okay. We were going to be okay. because mm-hmm. so far, we have survived 100% of everything that happened to us. Mm-hmm. So, and then I was um so that really works for me and I still do it and I share that with other people. Um but I was on my way to do a speaking engagement and I hadn't written anything. And, uh, you know, I'm a bit shy, so I don't really talk much. <laughs> on the way there, I was trying to figure out what I was going to say. And I thought, well, I'll talk about this. N- no, that, n- No. And by the time I got there, Mm -hmm. I had a smile so big and tears streaming down my face because I realized that every single thing was a blessing. It was an opportunity
2: Mm -hmm. for me
1: to see myself. And the fact that there was so much for me to dig through
2: Mm -hmm. is,
1: you know, it took the time it took. Yes. So now I'm 66 years old and I feel like I'm 46. Mm -hmm. I have an absolute ball and um, everything is about... Learning. I sit on my front porch and talk to God. Mm -hmm. And I've had some amazing experiences. And I am a psychic medium. Mm -hmm. I do read people. And uh, so that's a part of what I'm doing. But even just that example of the learning that I had just last weekend. Mm -hmm. And it was like, wow that can still affect me oh yeah you know and your family is so pivotal Mm -hmm. in in your upbringing and and the things you think and know and Mm -hmm. and so yeah it was
0: for me quite devastating (laughs) oh gosh absolutely um and there's so there's so many threads i want to pull here um the first one is about that cyclic nature of everything. So in the West, we do a disservice to ourselves in saying that everything is linear,
2: Mm -hmm. right?
0: Absolutely. I was here, um, this thing happened, I'm gonna do the healing and then I'm gonna get my happy ending, Mm -hmm. right? I talk about the myth of the happy ending so much uh, in my work and in my podcast because there are are no endings. It is a constant cycle of... learning, experience, healing, and then going back out. I was listening to Jay Shetty on a podcast Mm -hmm. months Mm ago, Mm -hmm. and he used a really great physical example, and he used elephant behavior. So he said, elephants go out into the wilds, they get dirty, they play, then they come back home and they clean themselves, and then they go back out And they get dirty and they play and then they come back in and they clean themselves. And that is the truth of what we do.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: We Mm -hmm. go, we, because life continues to happen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that the healing you did doesn't matter or that wasn't important. It is incredibly important. It's what allows you to move into whatever phase is coming next, Mm -hmm. but there's always going to be more healing to happen because life continues to happen the only happy ending happens at a spa (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's why that's my kind of happy ending that's for sure um and the relationship with god i almost feel like there is stigma around having the conversation. Um, I have a client who before she'll, she'll say to me, is it okay if I talk about God? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, of course, of course it is. Okay. I used to be very cautious saying God. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's because there's there, Oh God, there are ten. Billion stories around what God is, what God should be, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um, how God has been represented over the years, and it's it creates this tension. Mm -hmm. But one of the most beautiful things I was talking to an Imam a couple of years ago in his temple, and he said to me, "God in a temple and a religion is only a touch point." Mm -hmm. It's the way that you are able to connect with a source. So my religion is not right. Your religion is not right. It just is. It's just your touch point. Mm -hmm. And that was such a beautiful construct Mm -hmm. to think through, right? Because I grew up in the Christian church. I grew up in the Anglican faith um, which is kind of the loosey of all the Christian faiths. So there were things. But the but the point came for me, um, the no-go was when it was only a few years ago. They still refused to ordain anyone who is out and part of the LGBTQ plus spectrum. And I was like, that is not god for me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so this organization cannot can no longer be for me but that doesn't mean that i don't still have a touch point Mm -hmm. right and we all it's the the power of it is in letting people come to their own touch point absolutely I don't have any answers for anybody else. Mm-hmm. All
1: I can do um I've followed various gurus for a while because I don't I also don't think you should um uh, for me mm-hmm. dedicate yourself to any one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh what is it uh I forget who said it but uh, take what you need and leave the rest. Mm-hmm. Yep, I-, I think it was AA. That oh, <laughs> <yeah>, could be. <laughs> but anyway, um yeah, because Uh, It has to be the God of my understanding. Mm -hmm. And I know that I have a very rich relationship Mm -hmm. with that energy Mm -hmm. and you can call it universe, higher power, creator, whatever you want Mm -hmm. is your name for that. That which you know to be true. Exactly. That which you know to be true. I've had so many wonderful miracles happen in my life that Mm -hmm. it can't not, it, can't not be true (laughs) I don't know if that's a double negative it (laughs) It is true yeah it is true and I've uh, you know what that's the first time I've ever said that in public Mm. because I'm always
0: so cautious not to press my beliefs on somebody else absolutely I was having this conversation this morning with a group of women because I've been feeling a little um, stagnant and stuck and you know I keep showing up and doing the thing and through our conversation this morning however i realized and i've talked about this before i hide behind intellectualism mm-hmm. i hide behind proof and knowledge because for me it's part of my witch wounds right of being persecuted in the past for the for that power so i that's some of my past life stuff and I grew up, you know, I grew up and I worked in a system that is grounded in the tangible and you have to be able to prove it.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And anyone who thinks outside of that has less value. Mm -hmm,
2: mm -hmm. And
0: all that time as an educator, I hid all of this part of who I am Mm -hmm. And I take tiny little steps forward and release some of it here and there. Mm-hmm. But it still causes me anxiety. Yep. Mm-hmm. I I worry that people will see me in a different way. Mm-hmm. However, one of the things that is helping me to heal that is a relationship that I have with my high school English teacher, who I've spoken about on this podcast a number of times and she listens. So Mary mm-hmm. Jane. Here we go. Um, When I was in high school, she was my English teacher multiple times. And in my last year of high school, um, my OAC English Lit class had 13 kids in it. No okay. And Mary Jane was brilliant, and she hosted it in a seminar room. And the content of the reading list was really, really interesting. And we had all kinds of these conversations. And she knew that I went to church. And so she used to tease me all the time because she was staunchly atheist. She did not Mm -hmm. believe that there was anything Mm -hmm. outside of this physical world. And so she used to tease me all the time about my faith and at the time religion and my spirituality. And it didn't really bother me because I knew that it was coming from a place of love and that there was a part of her that was curious. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: There was part of her that was curious about why I was so sure that this is not all there was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she has become a very important matriarchal woman in my life. And it's now that we are starting to have these conversations in a reciprocal way that is giving me more confidence to know that. uh, Actually, one time she said to me, you're the craziest sane person I've ever met. (laughs) Best compliment ever. (laughs) It's like, all right, as long as we can still be seen in my, in my fullness, Mm -hmm. right. For all the, all of the things that I am, including this part that is actually the truth of who I am and isn't any of the roles that I play. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, what's most important to me too Mm -hmm. is that I've spent a
1: lifetime trying to fulfill Mm -hmm. roles that I just wasn't capable of doing. I Mm -hmm. should never have gotten married to the people that I did Uh this time is different because I know that I'm his soul guide and he's my soul protector. Uh And it has just been the most amazing, amazing time with this man. He's, he's taught me so much and, and we've both learned so much from each other. And we just, Uh we just were each other's person. Uh You know, it's just that simple. And, uh, For me, that was, I needed that because I had never felt loved and I had never trusted anybody Mm -hmm. because it had been hammered into me that there wasn't anybody out there to trust. And did you trust yourself? No. Yeah. No, couldn't, Mm -hmm. couldn't because I was a monster who was oftentimes out of control. Mm -hmm. That's how it was articulated to me. I Mm -hmm. mean, When my father held the family meeting where I was told to leave, one of my sisters jumped up and said, mom said, you've made her life a living hell. And I thought, well, there you go. Mm -hmm. That's what I knew. And now here it is. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm sure she was frustrated and all kinds of things. And she didn't mean it, but she talked to my sisters because she didn't really talk to friends she was too
0: busy Mm. so it was just a constant nest of Mm. you know and it's you know the it's our humanness that creates all of this separation Uh right Uh it's this skin suit that we wear that turns everything inward and so it feels like we're miles apart from each other and Uh that healing has to be painful and hard in this long process but the reality is when you can look at someone and say i see you Mm -hmm. that's really all any of us want or need Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and say i see you yeah i understand that some of my stuff has been harmful for you i'm sorry for that i release you and i release myself do you know how
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking of when you said that. It it's wonderful. I forgive mm-hmm. me. I forgive you. I thank you. You know, I love you. Mm-hmm. And that's it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and um, I totally agree with that. About thirty things went through my head while you were talking, mm-hmm. I and mean, of course, I've retained none of them. <laughs> it's really great because I'm sort of like that fish in a in a mm. glass bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, every ten seconds, it's all <laughs> new.
0: <laughs> And
1: how exciting! <laughs> <It is. laughs> yes. it's amazing, but um, yeah, something you said there about oh no, I've lost it, I'm sorry, uh, but it's
2: no, it awesome. was, it was, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: to just be able to keep going and to and to to know
2: mm-hmm. that
1: it's all good. There is that saying that it, you know you often hear nowadays is we're just uh. Spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm-hmm. But I've tagged on, and you have to live the human experience. Mm-hmm. You actually yes. have to, you can't just be up here going, Oh, I believe in spirit mm-hmm. and, and everything's mm-hmm. wonderful. And I
0: just ask spirit every day. Yeah, yeah no, because yeah. shit's yeah. hard. Shit's real hard. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> and you've got to face it,
1: but you have mm-hmm. to face it from a different place. Yes. You have to watch yourself and ask, Gee, I just, really had a strong emotion there. What was that about? What mm-hmm. is that telling me? Yeah. And the day that I learned to flip that mm-hmm. was amazing because mm-hmm. I could then say it doesn't I'm not a monster. No. I have reactions to things because of my mm-hmm. my history and the limited beliefs that I was taught and and our society does that to us. It's mm-hmm. like um my partner was saying to me the other day did I really think that people like me were going to have any effect on changing the world? And I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. He said, why, how? And I said, because it used to be maybe a million people that were questioning all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And now there's millions of people mm-hmm. who are asking questions and talking about it and trying to find what Ram Das said we're all walking each other home. Mm -hmm. And so it does not matter to me what you do as a minister. I always say to the people, I will go anywhere and do anything as long as it's not unethical and not illegal. Mm -hmm. I used to say, but I don't do naked and not enough people laughed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. So yeah. Then those people were not for you. They
1: were not. No. And so, um, I approach life like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'll call him by his nickname, Bear.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the things that Bear says to me all the time is, You are the most open minded,
2: mm-hmm. non
1: judgmental person I've ever met.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I hear my sister's voices going, Oh, yeah, you don't really know her. And then I go, Shut up.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: don't know me.
2: Mm-hmm. And you
1: don't deserve to know me mm-hmm. because. I'm really happy with who I am, and mm-hmm. and I'm very excited with the things I have planned. I don't know if they're going to come to fruition, but it's fun planning them. Mm-hmm. When I was 61, I went skydiving. I hated it and will never go again. But I did. <laughs> I it. did it. Yes. When I was 66 last summer, I got a kayak, mm-hmm. and I cannot wait to get back out there on the lake. I've been mm-hmm. terrified of deep water my whole life, mm-hmm. so you know, circumstances, the right people came along and said, no, do this uh-huh. and, and so forth. And it just all worked. Yeah. And that's, I think, the true joy of life. It's just uh-huh. I say to uh-huh. women all the time, they don't know what to do with themselves and they don't know how to help themselves. Yeah. And I say, So paint. Yeah. Sing. Try. It doesn't
0: matter. Yeah, try no. anything. And if just... you
1: don't like it, don't do it again.
0: Yeah. It's not forever. Just decide. Yeah. Just decide something.
1: The thing I love about that is make a choice. Mm -hmm. And if it's not working for you,
0: make a new choice. Exactly. We're allowed to do that. It's not forever. Yeah. Yeah. I think about how powerful it would be if and it's such a small mindset shift, but if we just approach life from curiosity and trust. Mm -hmm. And that is the that's the shift that needs to happen. Yep. Absolutely. Is curiosity Mm -hmm. and trust. And knowing that that's how we, ca- that's how we come together instead of judgment and blame and shame, mm-hmm. curiosity, trust, and love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Well, and I have to add faith. Yes. Oh, and faith. Absolutely.
1: you got to have faith. To, yeah, have yes. faith. Mm-hmm. I know lots of people are like, well, you know, I I don't believe in God. I'm not going to do that crap. So believe in your fence. I don't care. Yes. Yes. And talk to your fence
0: every day. Mm-hmm. And. You know, like, I'm also wanting to start to challenge people around that, though, and say it come come at it from that place of curiosity and say, why? Mm. What is it about faith that activates something in you? Mm-hmm. Because I think for many of us, it's the tension of knowing that you like everybody knows somewhere that there is something more. Mm-hmm. But this earthly school Wants to shut that down Mm -hmm. and it creates tension in our body Mm -hmm. that creates that ignition response to something, right? Because Mm -hmm. it takes so much energy to hold that tension Mm -hmm. where if we were able to just relax into it and approach from curiosity, why do I feel that way?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Hmm. And what is underneath that, that I already actually know. Yeah. And what I love is it goes way
1: back to the beginning of my journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You are perfectly okay just as you are.
2: Mm-hmm. You don't
1: need to do a thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: However, if you've got some questions come see me. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll talk about it and mm-hmm. and see what you come up with because yeah. I'm not going to <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you what you need to believe. I know what my belief is mm-hmm. and I'm solid with it. Oh, what I started to say before was about mm-hmm. Muji. He doesn't talk uh, when I was talking about gurus, he mm-hmm. doesn't talk about what he's teaching you. He says what he's doing is he's pointing. Right. So they are just pointings. Mm-hmm. Look at this. Does it resonate with you? Then take it a bit further. Mm-hmm. Find somebody to talk to. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh I have been blessed with so many people Mm -hmm. that were there for me and, and answered questions and, Mm -hmm. and just held my hand. Yeah. And I remember one of the women in the group, her name's Judy. She said to me, I wish you could see you the way I see you. You'd be so amazed.
0: Mm -hmm. And now I do hmm Thanks, Judy. And I'm glad that you said that because so many people leave it at, I wish you could see you the way I see you. And the only true healing is when you do see yourself that mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And the, because that's where all of our power lies is knowing that I see myself as the beautiful, brilliant, creative element mm-hmm. that I am. Yeah. And when we can, and when we can do that, Mm -hmm. we can see it in everybody else too and create space for everybody to see themselves as they truly are. Absolutely.
1: And one of the people I do follow right now is Mel Robbins and I Mm -hmm. absolutely love her. And she has what she calls the million dollar morning routine. Yeah. Five things. Have you heard Mm -hmm. it? I'm going to say it for the listeners. Mm hmm excuse me she does this five four three two one thing mm-hmm. because she got it from nassau and when you hit one you blast off and that's mm-hmm. because two parts of your brain the one that says i gotta get up and go do that thing and if you just wait a couple seconds the other part of your brain says that's no, okay you can do it tomorrow so you gotta beat that from mm-hmm. happening and you just jump in there five four three two one boom up out of the bed and then the second thing you do is you make your bed because mm-hmm. It's a gift to yourself when you come back. Yes, it is. The third thing is when you go in and do your ablutions. And that's funny. Somebody said to me the other day, I never heard that word before. Well, what Mm -hmm. it means is washing your face and brushing your teeth and all that stuff. When you're finished, high five yourself in the mirror. There's Mm -hmm. a big handprint on my Mm -hmm. mirror. Yeah. And the wonderful thing about that is you're not just high fiving yourself. You're high-fiving the future you that you know is going to go out there and kick ass today, Mm -hmm. and then 10 minutes of exercise, and then go write down, and write down what's occurred to you, what you want to get done, et cetera, and you don't have to finish it today. Mm -hmm. You just have to take one step, one little bit of progress forward. That's good enough. Mm -hmm. It's good enough. Yeah. And then you go have fun.
0: Yes, and having fun is so important mm-hmm. and we do not give ourselves enough time to have fun and today has been joyous and oh, yeah. so fun i'm so glad we had this conversation today thank you in the show notes will be how to connect with jesse how to connect with me and go listeners go have some fun yeah yeah do it that <laughs>
2: podcast